interestingly bought it back, Pam, my wife and I bought it back for my mother uh, about 20 years ago for $250,000 and we've since pulled it down and built two townhouses and so my first property I'm back to owning again and it's probably worth close to $4 million, the two townhouses in Caulfield, uh, which started off at $18,000 and that was the beginning of a, a, a substantial long property journey. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Sham and we're speaking with Michael Yarni, founder of Metropole Property Group and voted as the 50 most influential thought leaders in Australia. With over 50 years of property investing experience, he eagerly imparts the wisdom he has gained along the way from writing best-selling books to turning an $18,000 property to a multi-million dollar investment. Even though he is already in his early 70s, this leading property investment advisor never fails to engage and encourage. With an inspiring boyish voice and his enthusiastic demeanor, he gets straight to introducing himself and sharing how he has been spending his time lately. I've been investing for close to five decades, over five decades. Um, and uh, I was the founder, I am the founder of Metropole Property Group and we help our clients safely grow, protect and pass on their wealth to future generations. But interestingly, Tyrone, earlier this year, I, I actually relinquished my role as CEO of Metropole Group. And now I concentrate my time on writing, on podcasting and speaking to the media and giving strategic advice and direction to my team. We just did a training now. So rather than being actively involved in the business, I, I spend my day looking after a small group of high net worth clients and my own property portfolio and actually spending a bit more time with my kids, my grandkids. And now that COVID's over traveling, but I still love talking about dealing with property, uh, having fun in the property game. With an obvious interest for traveling and a hunger for adventure and learning new things, Yanni gladly delves into his travel plans. Well, the next trip is in August, actually September, where Pam and I are going to Venice and catching a train from Venice to Switzerland. So uh, a, a train trip uh, through the Alps and then spending some some time in, in Switzerland. Over COVID, uh, being living in Melbourne and having been restricted, I found some amazing parts of Australia and Victoria that uh, we didn't know about. But we've been lucky enough to have two trips a year overseas over the last uh, decade or so. And there's still lots of places we want to go to. Fantastic. And how long were you planning to travel for? Well, I usually take a longer trip at the end of the year, six weeks or so. Uh, and th this time around, it's only going to be a two-week trip in September. As an investor, equally passionate about helping others succeed in their finances and their own property journeys, as he's with writing, Yanni goes into detail of what he has been jotting down on paper lately and how his future might possibly look like. Interestingly, this morning I spent time updating what every property investor needs to know about finance, tax and the law. And the last edition of that, the, that was uh, the, the third edition, was three years ago. And boy, has a lot changed in the last couple of years, partly with tax, and f but particularly in the world of finance. So 
my publishers keeping wanting me to to come up with something else, but I, I've published, I've had nine books published. The, the most successful one, interestingly, Rich Habits, Poor Habits, has been translated into five languages. Uh, Chinese is actually the biggest selling version of it um, in Taiwan, Vietnamese, even in, in, in Polish. So for somebody who barely passed high school English, and I really didn't, and who actually doesn't – I've never – I haven't read a, a full non-reference uh, book for years. I don't read fiction. Uh, I spend all my day writing. It's fun. Well, I've had some fun lately also, Tyrone, playing with artificial intelligence, but it doesn't write as well as I do, uh, and it doesn't mean it's not as clever as I am. It's actually much cleverer than me. But I, I try to write down uh, to uh, simplify complex things, uh, and, and that's what I have fun putting together. Indeed, age is simply a number for Yarni. His vitality and passion for life remain evident as he speaks. With an impressive background and track record as a successful figure in the investing space, he looks back and shares how his interest in property was sparked at an early age. Well, I came to Australia at the age of three. I was born in Israel and I came here many, many years ago. I've turned 70 now. We came to Melbourne and I've been to Melbourne in Melbourne all my life, went to school here. Um, and my parents were hardworking they were workers and interestingly my friends parents uh, were wealthier they tended to run businesses my father was never uh, he was always a bit too nervous and uh, to, to, to get into business um so my friends parents who i guess were my parents friends um were wealthy they had a car we didn't have a car uh, for, for, for many many years they went on holidays and we didn't and i saw they were interested. They had properties. They had businesses. And, and so at a very early age, uh, I was always keen in property as well. My parents eventually did buy their, their first home. I think I was nine or something like that then. And in those days, the estate agents had big cars. There, there was before European cars, the Mercedes and the BMWs were the luxury cars. They were the big American cars that we used to call Yang tanks. And so... Um, I thought, gee, these guys are rich. These guys are well off. They're driving big cars. They're dealing with big amounts of money. So early in life, I firstly got interested in property. And number two, I, I actually wanted to be in property. Uh, so while other people wanted to grow up to be a fireman or, or an astronaut, I wanted to be an estate agent of all things. That is wonderful. And did you end up becoming a state agent? Well, I am a licensed estate agent now, but uh, went about it in a convoluted way. But I <clears throat> instead, uh, I ended up uh, going to university and getting a real job for a while. But bottom line was I, I started saving. I, I was driven uh, early in life by seeing others who'd been successful. Um, and look, my parents taught me a lot of good habits, but uh, money and investing really wasn't one of them. So I started having a number of part-time jobs still while I was in school and then in uni to save a deposit to invest. Torrin, I remember when I was young, every Saturday morning my father would sit at the kitchen table and he'd work on some numbers and figures. He'd write down some things and he had his black coffee, Nescafe, I remember, and, and smoking his cigarettes. And I asked him what he did and he was doing in his head, playing the game of what he would do if he won the lottery that night. So every year, every week, 
he'd buy lottery tickets. That was before the tax lotto. You'd go to the, the news agent and you'd buy these tickets and then uh, the next week you'd see, uh, before internet and things like that, you'd have to go along and see if you won. And he'd always won just enough to buy a couple more tickets but never the big prize. And so his way, the only way he could see out of the rat race uh, was to win the lottery. But I, I decided I'd be doing things differently to them. Watching his parents and learning from them early on, Yarni smartly determined and decided to forge a different path for himself in life. Still, he naturally applied the good habits he acquired, especially when the time to purchase his first property. I actually worked in the stock room at Portman's, the ladies' fashion store that's still around part-time um, and some other part-time jobs and I saved up a, a deposit and I actually went halves with my parents and we bought a property at 18, I think it was, Larch Street, South Caulfield. We paid 18,000, 15 Larch Street, doesn't matter. We paid $18,000. We put down $2,000. I ended up with $1,000 they did. And we took a, a $16,000 loan for 30 years. We had no idea how we were going to pay it off. I think I got $10 a week rent and I was excited. Um, but I bought close to where I lived. I was two streets away from my school. It was just behind where my mum went shopping. I bought in my own backyard because I knew no different. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't YouTube. There obviously weren't podcasts. Um, but I knew that the wealthy people owned property. And that was in the early 70s. And interestingly, uh, the Labor government came into power, Gough Whitlam, and inflation went up high. Look, there wasn't the reports, there wasn't core logic or things like that, so you had no idea what was happening to property prices unless you went out looking for other properties. But the value of that property went up that much that I could actually a few years later borrow against it and buy a second property. And I thought, hey, why hasn't anyone told me about this? This is easy. Um, uh, of course, then uh, I got married a few years later and I sold both properties Um no one told me that you could just sort of refinance. Interestingly, that first property that I paid $18,000 for, or half share, I sold my half share to my parents for thirty. $32,000 then. That was the benefit of inflation. Good lesson for people who are currently a bit worried about inflation. It's the friend of people who have good debt and own good assets. Um, so sold it for 32000 Interestingly, bought it back, Pam, my wife and I bought it back for my mother uh, about 20 years ago for $250,000 and we've since pulled it down and built two townhouses and so my first property, I'm back to owning again and it's probably worth close to $4 million, the two townhouses in Caulfield, uh, which started off at $18,000 and that was the beginning of a, a, a substantial long property journey. 1970s, so 50 years ago. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure when, but yes, 50 years ago. Wow. And that particular property, did it still have its original condition when you purchased it back again? Oh, yes. It was an old weatherboard home, uh, but I was already in, uh, then over the years doing property development and so therefore pulled down the old house and built two townhouses on it and uh, they're well leased out and the area has gentrified and grown and all the other old rundown houses in the street have been replaced with modern accommodation. Coming up after the break, Yanni opens up about an untimely mistake in entering commercial property 
prematurely in his investing career? I was playing the wrong game. I was playing the game the big boys were playing, but I was still a small boy. The eye-opening realization of how many investors curiously still get it wrong? Only 1% of investors, there's 23,000 investors in Australia who own six or more properties. That's not much. He gives us a front view seat to a story of a rash investment that could potentially uproot a couple's financial stability. And I got an email from them this morning. Sorry, we haven't booked in for the strategy plan. We actually bought a house on the weekend and we're about to sell our home. And that's next. I'm Tyron Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. With a commendable start in buying his first property, Yarni nevertheless goes on to say that he hasn't been a road paid with roses. On the question of whether or not he needed to continue to work while he continued his investing in the early days, he shares his insight. Oh, definitely. And the answer is uh, one has to. You can't, you need income and you needed income. Then people say it's hard to get a loan today. And it is, Tyrone. But my recollection was it's always been hard to get a loan. In the old days, it was really much more dependent upon the local bank manager. And you had to have a savings record. And in the 70s, they only they didn't take your wife's income into account um, my wife was a teacher uh, my first wife um, and then uh, you had to turn up and present your case of why you want to uh, borrow and how you're going to repay things so it's never been easy and sure there are challenges at the moment but i got very brave and i got involved in development but also too early in the piece, I made a mistake of getting involved in commercial property, Tyron. You see, I saw that's what the big people did. And I know some of my parents' friends who in some ways were my mentors. Um, they owned factories. So I bought two factories in, actually, I even remember the address, 21 and 23 Dandenong Street, Dandenong, which is was a lower class, a bit, but a big industrial suburb in Melbourne. Um and I did that because I thought that's what the big boys did. I didn't realize I had to build an asset base first. So commercial property, which is popular at the moment, sometimes for the wrong reasons, was I, I was playing the wrong game. I was playing the game the big boys were playing, but I was still a small boy. And on that basis, uh, I was not getting much capital growth, but I was getting appreciation. Uh, so sorry, rental returns. Um, but 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 uh, so a couple of years later, I sold those properties. Um, and over the years, I've got involved in, well, in the 80s in particular, quite a lot of property development. I had a number of joint venture partners. And there still uh, was a booming market. We had a couple of little downturns, but th there was a big property boom in the 80s that carried me around, uh, carried me through. And if I would make the same mistakes today that I made then, I would have gone bankrupt very quickly. But a property boom covered up a lot of those mistakes. Then we ended up with the recession we had to have in the early 90s. And I got through that, but a number of my friends and business partners and other developers went broke. So it made me a much more cautious developer. So now there's lots more information about cycles, Tyrone. There wasn't as much before. So I believe you've really got to invest through a couple of cycles uh, to become a, a much more a proficient investor and understand what's really going on. Mm, absolutely. Interestingly, one of the things that hasn't changed over the 50 years I've invested 
is that most investors get it wrong. Tyron, I'm sure you've read the same things as me, that the tax office shows that 50% of people who get into property investments sell up over the first five years, and 92% of investors never get past their second property, that one or two properties. Um, only 1% of investors, there's 23,000 investors in Australia who own six or more properties. That's not much. And despite the blogs, the podcasts, the YouTube videos, the books, that statistic hasn't changed much over time. So I think one of the lessons I learned along the way is uh, property investment may be simple, but it's not easy and it's not a play on words. I've learned to make good decisions, uh, but boy, have I made some bad decisions along the way, but property is pretty forgiving. On that note of bad decisions and lessons learned in his five decades of investing, Yanni shares his own experience and unpacks the impactful, less than glamorous consequences of not knowing the rules of the property game he was playing. Well, well, really what happened was I got excited and got involved in property development and I didn't really know too much about what I was doing. It started with residential development and I bought a property, pulled it down, built two townhouses in actually in the suburb of Brighton and sold it um, and made money. Great. In fact, a boom went on and if I would have done none of that and just bought the land and sold it uh, three years later, two years later, I would have made just as much. But I learned lessons along the way about what to do, how to do things. Similarly, we got involved in a couple of ways in the syndicate. I was four partners of us involved in um, an industrial subdivision. We bought an old farm. I didn't know how to build roads, but I was brave and we, we made a commitment to buy it. I got an engineer to plan the streets, Newcastle Road, Bayswater. It's still there. <laughs> and and pulled, uh, we pulled down the old, they, they dug the roads through the farm and pre-sold all the land to developers, it was an amazing boom. And then the crash came of 87, 88. And um, unfortunately, it's not our fault. The people who bought it were building factories and couldn't uh, move them. Uh, I, I, was le- I learned about the property cycles and I learned about owning industrial and commercial property, which again, I got into again a bit too early, how when interest rates go up, the value of the properties goes down. So I ended up, the lesson was, be careful, don't play. Again, I didn't know the game I was playing. I was playing commercial property with the the uh, lessons I'd learned from residential real estate and commercial property cycles are very different. So when interest rates went up, I started that period with a 70% loan to value ratio, very comfortable and good cash flows. Interest rates went up and the value of commercial properties goes down with that and the bank said sell. And I said, who to? No one's buying. We're having a recession here in the early 90s. Um, but because the, they were tenanted and I had the cash flow, I got through. So the lessons were understand the property cycle. And again, I've said it a few times, understand what game you're playing. Because, Tyrone, the game I'm playing today is very different to the game I played many years ago. The sort of investments that are appropriate for me today uh, not necessarily those, uh, not weren't the sort of properties I would have started off with. And so when we at Metropole help our clients, we first start off by putting a strategic plan together for them and understanding where they are and where they want to get to. And then 
we make a, a suggestions based on what their needs are, their risk profiles are, their budgets are. While I guess one's got to be very careful out there, there's lots of people who uh, will have got a stock list and say, hey, this is the right investment for you. Uh, but that may not be your game. Indeed, Yanni soon discovered the importance of having the right mindset, learning the rules and adapting his perspective. It was no surprise then that this discovery led him straight to the path of studying the psychology of success. I remember not long ago, somebody asked me, what's the difference between all those successful investors you see and the average investor? And in my mind, it's not the knowledge because it's out there and it's not always how much money they've got, but it has a lot to do with their mindset. And so... I started getting interested in the psychology of success um, in, in the 90s. And in those days, there were some great American uh, people who came out here to teach us, including Tony Robbins. And I even did his firework and walk, I should say, and Chris Howard and other mentors I learned from. And uh, what I started to understand is how your thoughts lead to your feelings, your feelings lead to your actions and your actions lead to your results. So the results you get in the outside world have a lot to do with what's happening in your inner world, in your head. Didn't make a lot of sense to me initially because I thought I, I was a bit, was actually not a bit, I was pretty arrogant in those days and I, I thought I knew it all. Um, but I then started to understand how the things I heard, the things I saw, the things I experienced as a child drove me drove me uh, in some ways in a good way but I also learned that we all drive around with one foot on the accelerator and one on the brake so we have some empowering beliefs and and some disempowering beliefs and one of my beliefs was I had to work hard because that's what my father instilled in me and, and I had to uh, grow my wealth and I was to be honest too driven by it and it's one of the reasons I ruined my my first marriage by um, being too driven to achieve things too quickly and comparing my results with other people. Uh, but over the years, I've, I've learned a lot about myself and mellowed and uh, I now spend quite a bit of time writing about, talking about, podcasting about the psychology of success to help others. Yanni talks about a renovation he did that took a turn for the worst, but which also taught him a valuable lesson. That was overconfidence and that was, again, not understanding the game I should have been playing. But what, what I did was, uh, again, just by the first one was renovations and I didn't know much about it. And in fact, I remember it was probably in Bond Street, Caulfield. I even painted it myself to renovate it and make some, save some money and try and do it. No one told me I actually had to open the windows to let the ventilation through. And I made myself very sick one day by sitting around, around with, with all the paint. Um, and, and I was, I think, like the concept of adding value and trading, I have since learned that Along the way, the estate agents and the tax man and stamp duty take the money. So my strategy initially, because again, no one taught me, I saw builders and developers making money. I thought, hey, that's what I should do. Uh, but I've since realized that no, it actually is a great way to manufacture capital growth and to increase your rents, but holding on. So over the years, from the trading, I've actually ended up now, and I'm still involved in a, a two-home development in Brisbane at the moment. We just finished a two-townhouse development in 
Melbourne a couple of months ago. So I'm still doing them, but to keep. And in fact, that's one of the things we started doing even in the 90s to, with clients. To One of my friends said to me, Michael, if you show others how you've become wealthy, uh, if you help others do the same, you can become even more wealthy. So we started development project management uh, in the 90s. And currently, my son, Bryce, Bryce Yardney, who went to uh, tech here to the uni and learned project management and then uh, came and worked for us, realised all he learned uh, theoretically didn't work in the real world. He's now for 11 years been with us and runs our project management division. I think we've got about 48 or so projects under project management in Melbourne and 23 in Brisbane. So we find the sites for the clients, put the development approval together, then move the tenant out, put the built pull down the old house, build a new property. But again, when many people come to us at Metropole and want to end up doing a development and becoming a developer and selling, we show them it doesn't work anywhere near as well as doing that to hold on to and keep in the long term as an investment. Um, and that that works well for our clients. And then we look after it in property management. And so we keep a close eye on it and we've seen the results. Um, interestingly, a... a, a um, a recent survey of the results of our clients showed that they're 7.3 times more likely to end up in the top 1% of investors. They're 7.3 times more likely than the average investor to own six or more properties. So there is a system and to follow it makes sense. For both the beginner and the vegetarian in property investments and developments, Yanni underscores the necessity of having a clear vision and knowing what one's main objective or goal is in the property game. Well, I guess the answer is what do you? what's the aim of it? So when we see clients at Metropole, the first thing we work at is where are you now? Where do you want to be in the future? And we put a strategic plan together for them because buying a property is not a plan. It's not a strategy. And searching for a property is not research. So people go off and buy a property. R really interesting. A couple of days ago, uh, actually, this, I got the email this morning, but uh, two weeks ago, I saw, saw somebody, a couple who came to our wealth retreat, a high-end seminar, and they were then going to come and sit with one of our property strategists to plan their future. Interestingly, the two of them was they they'd both been divorced. They'd been through what I like calling the asset reallocation program, and they'd come together and they had got some dud properties and one brought more money into the partnership than the other. She had money and he, he didn't. And that's fine. But they had blended families. So there was some planning to be done. There was some estate planning to be done. There was to decide how they're going to buy the next property because um, you know, one's bringing the money in and the other isn't and what happens to the kids in the future whether because they, they both wanted to leave things to the kids. And I got an email from them this morning. Sorry, we haven't booked in for the strategy plan. We actually bought a house on the weekend and we're about to sell our home. And so emotion got in the way. A lovely couple who were shown a different way of doing things, but we're human. We actually don't act rationally. And these are two very sensible people. But a house that they fell in love with and she saw a while ago suddenly dropped in value. Um, so again, what, what uh, I'm saying is that even though we believe you should start with a plan and is property in development part of that plan, no, you've got to understand what you want to achieve. And so the first stage is to educate yourself. The next stage is to save enough for people to get into the property market. 
And then there's an asset growth stage. Residential real estate, Tyrone, in my opinion, is a high growth, relatively low yield investment. So it's not a cash flow play. But many people get into property because they want cash flow. They haven't got enough cash flow. And I remember years ago when I used to sit with clients, they'd come along and say, hey, Michael, I'd like to buy a property so it'll pay for my school fees, or I'd like to buy an investment property so it can pay for my holidays. That's not the way it works. You've got to let your asset base grow. And once you've got a sufficient asset base, then over time, you slowly lower your loan to value ratios, and then you can live off your property. But it's actually much, much harder today than it was before. Um, with the world of finance, it's not easy to borrow against the increasing equity. So we recommend it to our clients that they should not only have property, um, and they need something that gives a level of cash flow. It could be commercial property, or maybe shares or managed funds or their super, because very few people build a sufficiently large asset base to live off the cash flow of their properties, Tyrone. In the next episode of Property Investory, Michael Yanni delves into the best-selling book he co-authored with Thomas Corley and the key rich habits that broadened his own investing worldview for the better. But I realized a long time ago on my own I could run faster uh, but, but as a team we can run further. The commendable goal he has for wealth creation and his reason for leaving a lasting legacy. Well, over the years I initially wanted to grow wealth and in that, that's your aim you'll never have enough and so I had to find a better purpose for it. He explains the science behind why some people are more financially well off than others and lists key facts behind the psychology and benefit of being a good negotiator. I learned that uh, if you're a good negotiator, you, you can do okay but if you're a great negotiator, you can do very well whether you are buying or selling. And that's next time on Property Investory.